Thank you, Jesus. This is the house of miracles. This is, God, this is your house where we, your kids, dwell, where we, your kids, encounter you and celebrate you and encourage one another. This is a house of miracles. This is a house of prayer. It's a house of worship. It's not a house of religion. It's a house where your presence dwells. God, we thank you for miracles. Things that are seemingly impossible with our natural senses or understanding are absolutely possible. Because you don't care what our limited thinking thinks. You are truth. And if you say you'll raise the dead, you'll raise the dead. If you say you can open blind eyes, you'll open blind eyes. We don't understand how that works rationally, medically, logically. But faith is the gap between our knowledge and His reality. And that's the space that we live. So God, this morning we want to lift our faith. We might have come in here this morning feeling a hundred different ways emotionally, mentally, physically. But we don't fix our eyes on temporary things. We don't fix our eyes on on the problems. We fix our eyes heavenward where our help comes from. And so Jesus, we acknowledge you in this moment. The reality of your presence. That you can do miracles in our life. Forgive us for doubting. Forgive us for choosing to allow the voices of this world to be greater than the voices of your word. God, we need more of you. Forgive us for listening to the news more than we listen to the good news. For reading news articles more than we read your word. For getting lost in the noise of the world rather than getting found in the stillness of your word and your presence. I I believe there's a touch of heaven here for every single person. And there's people all over this room from different walks of life, different experiences with faith. Some who've been Christians longer than I've had hot meals. Some who are skeptical and, and are yet to discover faith. And everyone in between but I believe that God wants to do something for each and every one of us this morning. And whether we're we're skeptical and questioning and curious or whether we're secure and long-term in our faith, we've got to be aware of this, this trap called religion. We can't confuse what is spiritual with what is religious. Religious is a man-made structure that will, is designed to cripple us and hold us back and, and keep us contained. The Spirit of God helps us encounter the heart of God, the Father God, to, to lead us to freedom, not bondage. And here's what religion will do. 
religion will turn the supernatural into superstitious. And we become weird. And then we create theologies around, well, when the, when the Bible says, this is one example, um, sing a joyful noise to the Lord, or make a joyful noise to the Lord. That's supernatural. Right? That's, that's what God's... But then we make it superstitious by saying, well, we have to play every song in a major key because minor keys are from the devil. And then we create these dogmatic theologies. We don't because, you know, we're awesome, our church. But, but other of our, of our brothers and sisters will, will create a whole policy around this issue and they become superstitious about a flipping key. Now, I'm not musical, so hopefully what I've said is correct, musically speaking. Is that right, Pete? Thank you. But that's what religion does. When we don't have a box for something, we don't have a category for something, we've got to put a policy around it, and so we take the supernatural and make it superstitious. And in doing so, we become more bound by rules than free, as Jesus would have us be free. And this is why I I talk often each week about the presence of God. The presence of God. Because in the presence of God is fullness of joy. In the presence of God is the fullness of life. And I've I've got, this is probably one of the most amazing little books. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. If you may have read it, you may be aware of it. Brother Lawrence was a, uh, a French monk from the 17th century. Who's, and this, man, as far as bang for buck, this time of the book packs such a punch. Um, it's the, the Floyd Mayweather of books. Um, it's impressive. Except it speaks truth, not garbage. Did I say that in church? Yeah, I did. But this tiny little sentence sums up his life. His life legacy is basically to live in a perpetual state of being aware of God's presence, which seems so unachievable and so unrealistic because surely God's presence is reserved for a moment two-thirds of the way through the third song that we sing on a Sunday when we get to that big crescendo in the bridge. That's when God's presence falls. That's when we feel it. And then we come out from a worship service going, wow, worship did so much. I I got so much out of worship on on Sunday. It was amazing. And then we go and battle through Monday to Saturday. And we come in beaten, battered and bruised, waiting for that third song. And then two-thirds of the way through the third song, the presence falls. Again, that's where we've turned the supernatural into the superstitious. Because the presence of God is at all places at all times. And, And we now, under the new covenant, the Bible says our temples, God's dwelling place of His Holy Spirit. So no longer does He dwell in temples of old. He now dwells in your heart and in my heart. The Spirit of God. That's supernatural. That's incredible. And so our job in life, our, one of our, our, our most difficult missions, which is super simple in theory, but super, super difficult in, in practicality because we're so consumed by this world, distracted by things, but, but the simple goal of our life is to reorientate ourselves to the reality of God's presence every single day. Because when we know that we're in God's presence, we, we know who we are and we know whose we are. 
And when we get that level of security in an eternal God that loved us and and sent his only son to die for us and rose from the dead to prove he had uh, power over death, then that shifts our whole identity and brings us to a whole level of security to not worry about things that we worry about. That we can live free as the son sets us free to live. See, here's what he says. It's over 300 years old. So simple, so profound. The presence of God is the concentration of the soul's attention on God, remembering that He is always present. Let me say that again. The presence of God is the concentration of my soul's attention on God, remembering that He is always present. So this... This morning services are going to be a little bit different. And um, I'm not going to preach on the standard this morning. I had it all prepped. It was going to be awesome. You guys were going to, all of you are going to get saved and fall in love with Jesus all over again. I, I guarantee that. But just as, as we're preparing, and obviously with what's happening yesterday with all this mask stuff, I just sensed I want to take, that God wants to take this service in a different direction and bolster our faith and strengthen us. You can see it if you want. That's, that's cool. You, as long as you distance the part and I don't get fined. I don't really care. Um, where was I? Yeah. But it, yeah, I just believe that God's got stuff for all of us here today. And I said this in our pre-service meeting is... Um, you know, these, these times of confusion call for strong leadership. And, um, and for me, I'm not going to get up here. And This is what some people want. Can I just give you that book, babe? All right. Oh, thank you. Um, we practiced that earlier. It was wonderful. Um, pe- people want me to get up here. Some people, not you guys, others who aren't here. Um, and, and stand on a soapbox and beat my chest about end times and the coming of Jesus and the mark of the beast and be so anti-vax and 5G towers and government conspiracy. And that if I do that and I have a strong enough opinion on that, then that's, that's, that's good leadership. If, if that's the kind of pastor that you want, you've chosen the wrong church to come to. Because the strongest form of leadership I can give you at a time like this is, hey guys, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. I, I don't know what's actually going on behind closed doors in the deep, deep dark secrets of Bill Gates' underground lair. I, I don't know what's in the heart of Dr. Fauci. To be honest, I just want to say his name because it's kind of fun to say. But I know, I know what happens in the secret place when we encounter the presence of God. That no matter what goes on, Actually, can I have that book back? Because I want to share the, the end of that chapter. Thank you. Just don't throw it at me. Sorry, because he, he just says the most beautiful thing. I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's like, it's like that much. You guys can handle it. And then we're going to have communion and probably sing House of Miracles again because I think that was beautiful. I know a person who for 40 years has practiced the presence of God to which he gives several other names. Sometimes he calls it a simple act a clear and distinct knowledge of God. And sometimes he calls it a vague view or a general loving look at God, a remembrance of Him. 
He also refers to it as attention to God, silent communion with God, confidence in God, or the life and peace of the soul. To sum up, the person has told me that all these descriptions of the presence of God are merely synonyms that signify the same thing, a reality that has become natural to him. My friend says that by dwelling in the presence of God, he has established such a sweet communion with the Lord that his spirit abides without much effort in the restful peace of God. It is this center of rest he is filled with a faith that equips him to handle anything that comes in life. This is what he calls the actual presence of God, which includes any and all kinds of communion a person who still dwells on the earth can possibly have with God in heaven. At times he can live as if no one else existed on earth but himself and God. He lovingly speaks with God wherever he goes, asking him for all that he needs and rejoicing with him in a thousand ways. And here's the bit I was talking about. Nevertheless, one should realize that this conversation with God occurs in the depth and center of the soul. It is there that the soul speaks to God's heart. Oh, sorry, speaks heart to heart and always dwells in a great and profound peace that the soul enjoys in God. The trouble that happens in the world can become like a blaze of straw that goes out even as the that goes out even as it is catching fire while the soul retains its interior peace in the presence of God. So what that's saying is life can be like a bunch of straw that catches a, a blaze and that basically describes the world that we live in right now. It's like things are crazy. But when we have that awareness of God's presence that translates into knowing who we are as God's children and also whose we are as adopted into his family, then that gives us his inner peace. But if we're looking out at the problems, at the concerns, at the conspiracy theories, at the this, at the that, at the da, 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 that just perpetuates that inner turmoil. That does not create an inner sanctuary that gives us peace and strength and hope. It does the exact opposite. So that's why the Bible says we, we, we're called to live in the world, but not of the world. We are, we are merely aliens passing through this world to get to, and that sounds so weird and like, I know it's super crazy, but, but we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is that, that we are God's children. And so I want to share this message, um, real simple, just some thoughts that I think will be helpful for us, and then we'll have communion together. Um, communion is such a beautiful sacrament for us to do to, um, to remind us of what Jesus has accomplished and, and, and who we now are on the other side of Jesus' resurrection. And so hopefully you've got your little um, COVID safe communion cups. If you haven't got one, pop your hand up, we'll get one to you as soon as possible. But um, if you want to rip the lid off now, we'll save the pain and hardship of all that noise later. But I want to just expand a little bit. You guys can sit if you want. Uh, I am. So. In Exodus chapter 3, and I know Ben Nice has spoken about this, he's got this tattooed on his arm. Um, God describes himself, or God identifies himself um, as I am. I am. Like, I, I just, I just am. Like, I exist. I, I am truth. I, I am. You, you can't, 
you can't label me a thing that would conjure up an opinion or a perception that's in this humanly limited way of thinking because I'm bigger than that. I, I just am. I, I am. And so we see this as a, cor- a common occurrence and theme all, all throughout Scripture that God, way back in Exodus, at the very early part of, of the Old Testament, we see that God identifies himself as that and, then, and we see this theme run all the way through. And then we come to an interesting point. Um, theologically, we call this the Trinity, where um, God is three yet one, three persons, three essence, yet one Godhead. He is the Father, He is the Son, He is the Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, yet the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. Am I, have I confused you yet? Good, because I'm confused as well. Even, even the most well-read theologians struggle to perfectly articulate and understand this concept However, we know that in essence it absolutely is true by how God has revealed himself throughout history, that he is the Father, he is the Son, Jesus, and, and he is the Spirit. And, and so if we understand that, then we understand that, that Jesus is God, which is why it was a big deal that he came to earth died a sinless, lived a sinless life and, and died on the cross, undeserving of death, but, but that was his mission. And so at the end, after his, his resurrection, um, Jesus gives a great commission to his disciples, to you and I. We, we are now connected. We, we, are, we are part of the legacy of God's great commission. It, it didn't, this, when Jesus said this statement, it wasn't just to the disciples, it was for all who would find faith in him, for all of humanity till he returns. And so we now are living in an extended period of what happened when the early church was birthed 2,000 years ago. This is it's not some separate thing. And I think we, this is when superstition kicks in, is we, we see scripture as like, oh, well, that was back then. It's almost fairy tale esque But no, no, it's, it's history that we now are on, you know, uh, the, the tail end of, being a part of that so he gives a great commission we all know that go into all the world preach the gospel make disciples baptize them in the name of the father the son the holy spirit there's the three um and and then he says this thing and i am with you always even to the end of the age i am right that is that's how god identifies himself i i am Life, existence, truth, I I am with you always. Why is that significant? Well, when you go back to Luke chapter 2, and it talks about the coming Messiah and baby Jesus being born. What does the angel say? They shall name him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. I am with you. So, so Jesus isn't just some historical figure that did some stuff that we now, 2,000 years later, are a little bit impressed by. Jesus is I am God with humans. 
and dwelt for 33 years with us on this earth, died, rose again, and then promises that I am, God, will be with us always as we walk out His mission and plan and purpose He has for us in this world. That's why I go on about the presence of God. That's why every week I'm talking about that because I want us to get this deep, profound understanding that every day when we wake up in the morning, we remind ourselves that, that we're not just doing life alone. I am with you always. And I'm not in your bedroom every morning. Thank God for that. I'm not in your kitchen every morning when you make yourself a coffee. I'm not driving in your car as you go to work every day. I'm not at the office cheering you on Monday to Friday saying, just remember the presence of God is with you. Just remember God is with you. So there comes a point where we have to take up a bit of self-discipline to remind ourselves every day when our feet hit the floor, God is with me. If God is with me, who can be against me? Why would I fear if I know the God that created everything is with me? And again, like I said, it's such a simple thing, but actually it's quite difficult. But it is profoundly powerful when we live out of that place. So that times like this, when the media is shouting fear and taunting us with, stuff having done all to stand we can stand through all that stuff we're not going to be the only thing we should be afraid of is God and that is a healthy respectful awe and wonder at his majesty and see the hope we have is not just for us it's for others I see, we encourage one another in this, right? Hey, you can do this. Hey, God's got you. Hey, I love you. Hey, you're amazing. And, and, and so what does the Word say? The Word says, they shall know me by your love for one another. So when we, we remind ourselves who we are in God, then we remind ourselves also of the mission and purpose we have as God's children is to build the church, to encourage one another, to build another up. And so as we do that, the world who's living in chaos and turmoil will know God by how we love and treat one another. This is how it works. Because we're called to be salt and light. We're called to stand out and be different. We're called to bring hope in darkness. But if we don't have that own, our, our own revelation of that hope inside of ourselves, well, how much light can we shed in a dark world? So, so communion, the bread, the juice, similar, similar to my wedding ring. This, this is just a cheap bit of sterling silver. Um, but... But what it represents is my bond to my wife and my marriage to her and my devotion to our family. It's, truth be told, that's my third wedding ring because I kept losing the other ones. Um, so th the jewellery itself is not that significant. But what it represents is infinitely significant. So the cheap bit of juice in your hand and the possibly stale and not really gluten-free cracker that's attached to it 
wrapped in plastic that's pretty harmful for the environment, let's be honest. It's not that powerful. But what it represents, what it signifies, where it takes us in our remembrance, that's where the power is. Because it is a symbol of Jesus' blood that was shed, his body that was broken, to redeem all of humanity. Whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved because of what Jesus has done. That once and for all atoning sacrifice for all sins. Up until that point, in order to get right with God, because God is perfect and we are not, God is life and therefore to get to Him we have to be full of life. But because we have sin in us, then death has to happen. And so death would happen to a blameless animal would be slaughtered and its blood would be shed and that would atone for the sins. All, the, all the, the wages of sin is death, right? That's what the Bible says. So all of those wages were put onto an animal and it was slaughtered and died and therefore the sins of humanity died with it to make the people right with God. But because we're stupid as people and because we make mistakes often and because we don't often learn from those mistakes and we continue to stumble in them, animal after animal after animal after animal was slaughtered, 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 slaughtered. And Jesus came to be the perfect. That's why we talk, we talk about Jesus as the Lamb of God, right? Because he was the, the once and for all sacrifice where his blood would be shed to atone for all people at all time. Because it was not just the blood of an animal, it was the blood of God himself, the Son of God. And that is profoundly impact. That is the reason you and I are sitting here today. That is the reason we have found faith is because of what Jesus has accomplished on that cross. And as we read, he overcame death. He resurrected, met with his disciples, about 500 people, saw him after resurrection, and he gave them a mission. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Somehow, we have digested that in our own Western secularized consumeristic mentality and then out the other end just popped out, go into all the world and dominate and make as much money as you can and be awesome. And go to church so you feel better about your faith. It's not really what Jesus commanded us to do. I have nothing against entrepreneurialism. I have nothing against making money. I have nothing against people having an awesome career. But everything in our life should serve the purposes of God. We don't use God to serve the purposes of our desires. And so, so this is why we have to get things in the right order. That our life is about ultimately making disciples. Ultimately helping people to discover Jesus and then depend on Him. That's what it's all about. But it starts with us when our feet hit the floor every day saying, God, I thank you that you're with me. The meetings I have today, the people I need to talk to, the situations I'm going to be facing, I thank you that you'll go before me. You give me wisdom in those places. You'll, you'll just help me get through today and I'll be aware of you each and every day. Because he promises, when you're part of my mission, I am with you. I am. God, the presence of God, the reality of God is with you. John is a series of I'll bring this to a close in a moment but 
But I think this is going to be helpful as well. I want to get really practical. Jesus gives us these statements in John, these, these what they call the I am statements. So Jesus identifies parts of who he is, his character, his attributes. And so he says, I am the bread of life. That's who Jesus is. So the understanding these helps us understand what we have in Jesus. Because if he is the bread of life, then what that means for us is when we have a daily connection with him, he brings us sustenance and nourishment to our soul, for our, for our very existence. Jesus is the bread of life. We, we partake of him. We, we, if you like, eat of him. Sounds really weird and carnivorous. He says, I am the light of the world. So, so if he's the light, then he brings us guidance. He brings us truth and he brings us clarity. And like I said, we need to spend more time in the Bible than we do on news.com. In order for Jesus, who is the light of the world, to truly light our path. See, the Word of God is a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path. Instagram is not. Facebook is not. It's like lolly truth. It's just for S and G's. It's God's Word is a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path because Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're lacking guidance, if you're lacking clarity, if you're lacking truth, I would say open your Bible more. Jesus, I'm the gate, which simply means he's the entry point to God's kingdom. No one gets to the Father, no one gets to the fullness of life as a, as a son or a daughter of God unless they pass through the gate of Jesus and profess him as Lord. And when you understand that he is God that put on flesh that died for the sins of all humanity because he absolutely loves us, it's so much easier to relinquish our life and choose to serve him and, and declare his lordship. And the interesting thing is when you declare Jesus as Lord, guess who you, by inference, declare isn't Lord anymore? You. Lord, by very definition, is one entity that has authority entirely. So we can't call Jesus Lord and then live our life in such a way that really what matters is my preference and what I like and what I'm about because then you've given yourself all authority over yourself and you've become Lord. In order for Jesus to be Lord, we must cease to be Lord. In order to find your life, we must first lose it. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life, which gives us access. He is the way. It gives us assurance because he is the truth and it gives us abundance because he is the life. These are all helpful things when we understand every day the presence of God is with me. I am with you always. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. We can expect to have assurance. We can expect to have access and abundance. I am the good shepherd. Jesus being with us reminds us of his sacrifice a good shepherd is someone who takes care of us, so there's this care factor that Jesus has for us. Inclusion, a shepherd brings the flock together, so there's a sense of inclusion. That's why Jesus would leave the 99 to get the one to include them back into the fold. 
and power. Shepherds in control of the flock. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Which, again, conjures up this, this, this assurance of power because resurrection, you can only be resurrected if there's significant power involved. And the life. So, so we have assurance of God's power and also assurance and hope in life forevermore. That the life we face on this earth is simply the, the dress rehearsal of the life that is to come. But it's far more important than a dress rehearsal because what we do in this life matters for where we end up in eternity. But if we're with Jesus, then we understand that our eternity is secured with Him forevermore. And then finally, Jesus says, I'm the vine. And if He's the vine, then pruning is necessary at times. We're the branches. The life flows through Him to the branches. And sometimes Jesus will cut stuff off. And it feels like we're shrinking. It feels like we're, we're losing ground. But if you know anything about pruning, the whole purpose of pruning is for further growth. The whole purpose of pruning is for more fruitfulness. And, and Jesus gives this agricultural analogy because that's exactly what the people reading at that time would have understood. And we understand it now as well that we prune so we can produce more. And if Jesus is the vine, then then His power and His fruitfulness flow through us, which ultimately results in joy. Because He says here in John 15 that He's talking about the vine and the branches, that His joy would be in us and our joy would be filled. So when we understand that I am the vine, then we can expect times of hardship, but we can also expect that the point of that hardship is to take us to a place of strengthening, refining, and growth. And even in the midst of both pruning and um, prosperity and growth, joy is still flowing through our life. That the joy God has for us is irrespective of whether we're in seasons of plenty or seasons of not much. That's why you can go to places like Africa and parts of Asia where people have nothing and still have joy because they're connected to the vine which is not determined by circumstance. It's determined by who we actually are in Christ. When we have an awareness of His presence, of who we are and whose we are. So let's take the juice, let's take the bread. World's longest communion message. (laughs) It's a miracle if you didn't spill that on your lap, just trying to stay steady. But the whole point of this is And the whole point of communion is just to remind us of what Jesus has done. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of the hope that we have. Remind us of the the eternity that awaits us. So as you take the bread, as you take the juice, just think about him. And if, you're, if you haven't found faith yet, if you're still searching or you're a little bit unsure, ask Him. Ask Him to reveal Himself. Say, God, would you reveal Yourself? If you really are the truth, if you really are the way, if you really are the life, would you show me? Would you speak to my heart? 
Would you speak to my soul? Father, I just pray for every single one of us here today. That as we position ourselves in a place of remembrance and reflection, that your power would be revealed, our identity would be renewed, and your presence in our life would be refreshed so that we can see clearly Hear your voice clearly. Respond to your spirit boldly. Because we know that no matter what happens in life, that you are with us. I am God, Yahweh, the Alpha, the Omega, the author, the perfecter, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Almighty God, that whose name is above every other name, who is the king above every other king, the Lord above every other Lord, is with us always, even to the end of this age, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. And God, I wish I, wish I could be there every day for every person here just champing this on, reminding people every day, just ringing the bell of remembrance of who we are and that, and, and that we're in your presence. But, but I don't have that luxury. So would you give us the discipline? Would you give us the nous? Would you give us the nerve to remind ourselves? Whether it's a note that we write on the bathroom mirror in lipstick to remind us, whether it's a reminder in our phone we put on repeat every day whether it's a post-it note on the steering wheel of our car. Help us be creative with reminding ourselves that you are with us and that we are in your presence and that we would make room for you every day to enjoy your presence. That we, we wouldn't just acknowledge, but would also accommodate and rest in and move in your presence. A presence that is supernatural, not superstitious. That, that is real and tangible, not, not fickle and gimmicky. That it actually is going to empower us for life, not just give us a warm and fuzzy feeling emotionally that would heal us from the inside out.